the divine is in in all of us. And that's not just an idea, that, that's a call to action. Um, so if the divine is in all of us, I'm going to do everything in my power. Uh, I'm going to dedicate my life to ensuring that you're not exploited, to make sure you're treated with respect and dignity. And so that's a spiritual mandate, right? Because you've always taken such charge. You are listening to the Border Chronicle. Welcome to the Border Chronicle podcast on this beautiful April day. Sunny Singh, it is great to have you on. Thank you for having me. Now, Sunny is a musician and he's with the band Red Barat. And he also came out with a solo album in 2022 called Chardikala. Can you correct me on that pronunciation? Yeah, yeah, Sunny? you're pretty you're pretty good. Chardikala. Thank you. And he's also spent decades working as a popular educator on justice issues. And don't worry, we're going to get to all of this soon enough. But the first thing I wanted to talk with Sonny about is he is featured in a movie, a, a documentary film that is titled From Here. And this film is a very moving film, and it followed four children of immigrants over the span of, of a decade. And these are children of immigrants in in both the United States and, and in Europe and and for ten years and how they challenge xenophobia, racism, and immigration and economic systems with creativity and activism. So Sonny, the first so the first question I have for you is about your role in that film. Yeah, thanks. Um, so my role was was basically to be followed around with a camera by a camera uh, for uh, the better part of sort of my my late 20s, probably uh, through most of my my 30s, actually. Um, so I was basically just living my life doing doing what I do. And uh, Christina, the director and another collaborator, she was working with um, Tried to document a lot of key moments uh, in, in the work that I was doing musically, politically, uh, organizing wise, um, personally as well. You know the the struggles that I was going through, um, and uh, and and sort of telling telling my story in in that way. Um, Christina is now a, now a dear friend, but she first approached me, you know, when I was in my twenties, uh, kind of explaining to me a, about her idea for this film. Uh, that that aims to tell the stories of children of immigrants who are sort of challenging narratives of xenophobia, nationalism, white supremacy, uh, not only in the U.S., but also uh, in, in Germany. So the film documents two of us here in New York City, uh, where I live and I've been living for the last almost 20 years uh, and, and two in, in Berlin. And I was immediately drawn to that sort of transnational framing uh, of these issues that often I think folks in the U.S. really think of immigration and immigrant rights uh, as, as really U.S. issues. Uh, but that's that's really uh, not the case. Right. These these systems that we're up against um, of, of division and uh, militarized borders and exclusion uh, are, are really glo global phenomena. And I think folks that weren't thinking about it 10, 15 years ago when Christina started making this film are probably thinking about it now with the rise of uh, so much sort of neo-fascism uh, and, and all kinds of uh, nationalism in, uh, in Europe and, and beyond, uh, which are sort of reflections of what we see happening here in the U.S., right? And you definitely get the sense in the film because uh, 
it start it starts like you say i think it's what year did it start it started in 2011 or 12 or 10 i or? mean she started filming me before then i would say she actually started filming me uh in 2008 i believe because i was still in a band called outer national at that point which is a band that i uh co-founded when i moved to new york in 2003 and I left that band mid 2008 and my story kind of begins in that, in that band. So she got a little bit of that. She thought that's the story that she was going to be telling of me. Uh, you know, this young, young sick playing in this sort of political rock band. Uh, and a few months into filming my story, I, I, there was a big, uh, there was a big conflict in that band, uh, around, uh, around politics and, and ideology and spirituality. And I, I felt very, uh, sort of, tokenized and marginalized, uh, from, from, from that band. And so I had to, I had to leave in like the middle of 2008. Um, and so then my story took quite a, quite a different turn. So what was the story that Christina ended up telling about you in the, in the film? Yeah. So, I mean, it certainly was and is the story of a, of a young into not yet so young sick musician in the, in the United States, um, sort of claiming that space on, on, on stages, uh, and, uh, asserting my identity in, in that way. But, but also as a story of a lot of organizing and advocacy and education work I have done in the sick community in, in New York. So after I left that band in 2008, I uh, got a full-time organizing job with, a. Uh, an organization called the Sick Coalition, um, which started up after 9-11 to address a lot of the the hate violence, uh, racism, discrimination uh, that six uh, and other, you know, brown people, quite frankly, uh, were experiencing so sharply after after 9-11. Um, and a lot of the work that uh, I did with the Sick Coalition for the couple years I was there focused on on youth organizing uh, around the issue of uh, racist bullying, bias-based bullying and harassment in schools. Um, and so, you know, you see you see a lot of these young people in the film kind of telling telling their stories, uh, engaging in conversation with me and, you know, that their stories are my stories too, right? Because racist bullying deeply shaped my childhood um, growing up uh, as, uh, as a turban-wearing sick in, in Charlotte, North Carolina, Long before 9-11, but, ne but nevertheless, uh, the, you know, these, these issues are nothing new. Um, and so it was deeply personal work for me. So we kind of go back and forth from sort of the advocacy and organizing work I was doing with these young people and then sort of sharing some of my own reflections and, and stories uh, to, to the camera of, of my own experiences uh, as a child, but also as an adult, right? Because um, at that time... And still to some extent, but especially during the time of the early years she was filming, um, you know, between like 2008, uh, 2008, 2012, 13. I mean, the the amount of racism I was experiencing just on an interpersonal level in New York City was was very, very high, um, almost almost daily at times. Yes, there was that that part in the film where I think she even captured yeah. a man walking past you and saying something, saying, "Yes, I can't remember what he said." It was a very racist. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, he called us pieces of shit. I'm not sure if we're allowed to curse here, so I'll, I'll leave it can. at that. Yeah. yeah, that's that's fine. Um, which which actually brings me to the next question. You know, with the border, the border chronicle, um, we look at the border quite a bit, of course, and the U.S. Mexico border, and the actual, 
you know, physical infrastructure of the border with the walls and the technology and the militarization and all that it, all that it entails. And one of the things that really struck me about the film and your story and the stories of the other protagonists is that as the camera was following you around, even though we never saw the actual physical or international boundary or border or anything like that, you could feel it the yeah. entire time. You could feel the kind of oppressiveness yeah. of the border and what it is, whether it manifested with racism or xenophobia or manifested in, with some of the other protagonists, some of the immigration going through the bureaucracies of immigration. Yeah. And, and Sonny, I know in your case that, uh, um, uh, you, you live for a while, right? In, in Arizona in Southern Arizona. Yeah. Um, so, and you know about the borderlands, um, as well. And I was, I wanted to know what is, when you think about the border, you know, taking this big, wide, expansive view of it, mm -hmm. what, what do you think? What is it that you think? What does it mean to you? Yeah, um, I think I think it's a little bit twofold, like how I sort of emotionally and intellectually respond to that concept. And I, I think first and foremost, uh, to to use to use your word, it would be the same word I used. I think of oppression, right? I think about um, this militarized, uh, artificial uh, line, often accompanied by a, a wall, and certainly accompanied by. Uh, you know, state repression and, 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 you know, federal police and, and the like to, to divide people from one another and, and not just to divide people from one another for the sake of division and, uh, but, but to uh, often to divide people from one another, uh, uh, for the purposes of, of, of political and economic power. Um, so I, I think of the border as this sort of, uh, national manifestation, physical manifestation via the nation state to, to sort of, uh, to divide power in an, in an unequal fashion between nation states. Right. Um, and, and so in that generally the border makes me feel icky. It makes me feel angry. Um, there are so many sort of, uh, uh, what's the, what's the word? Like not physical. Like we feel the border, like you said, we feel it in the film, even though we don't see it right. Because it relates to, to all sorts of, uh, manifestations of racism and, and white supremacy and xenophobia that just exist in our society on a sort of ideological and cultural and a policy level, even when we're nowhere near the border. Uh, but as somebody who, uh, came of age in Arizona, I lived in Phoenix, uh, for middle school and high school and, and Tucson, in, in college, um, you know, I also see the border as this place of possibility, um, of, uh, on a, on a cultural level and a political level, like the borderlands to me, La Frontera is like just such a fascinating place, uh, to, to, to live and, and, and to grow and, and to organize. And I was so deeply, uh, inspired by and shaped by a lot of the organizing that was happening around the border to challenge, uh, you know, these, these sort of racist and, uh, sort of hateful, um, divisive, uh, impositions of the border and, and see it as something, uh, that, uh, is is a place of uh, is a place of possibility, right? We know these, we know these borders are completely artificial and people 
uh, have been living on all all sides of them for for generations upon generations. Like I even think about my from the perspective of uh, the U.S. immigration system and U.S. borders, I'm quite in a place of privilege, right? I was I was U.S. born, um, so I'm I'm an American citizen uh, by by birth. Um, and, you know, uh, some of the other protagonists in the film have very, very different stories. Uh, uh, and, and so I, I have a good amount of privilege when it comes to, to citizenship. Um, but when I go back just a, a generation, um, you know, both sides of my family were born on uh, the Pakistan of uh, what now is the Pakistan side of uh, the, the border between India and Pakistan, a border that didn't exist before uh, before 1947, um, when India and Pakistan got their independence from the, the British Empire. And this very artificial border was cut right in the middle of Punjab, which made my both sides of my family refugees. And, you know, one of the biggest mass migrations in human history in, a, in that short a period of time with hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people killed on on both sides of that you know uh with with Sikhs and Hindus fleeing west punjab into into east punjab and below into india and muslims from east punjab and other parts of india fleeing in into pakistan just a horrifying divide and conquer um you know artificial border uh created really ultimately by the british um you know that's how those lines were were drawn so you know i i do have that personal connection to 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 border as well, um, as well as a sort of political connection, uh, as far as partially growing up in Arizona and being inspired by so much of the resistance that I saw there. Did your family end up, did they end up being displaced because in with all that turmoil? Yeah, yeah. My, my dad, my dad was born in March 1947, actually. So just a few, he was a small baby when partition happened in, in August. So when he was a, a, a very young baby, uh, his family fled um, their homeland in, in Sargodha, which is now in Pakistan and in, in Punjab, um, and came pretty, they came to Bombay. I actually left Punjab altogether and I think they had some relative there. Um, and so he lost a lot of extended family in that, uh, in that as well. My mom's family came a little bit before partition, but they're also from the, you know, what's now the Pakistan side of the Punjab. It's always interesting to me, you know, you look at a map, right? And in the map, you just see these lines, around countries or nation states, right? And they're so innocuous or mm-hmm. harmless, quote unquote. And and then you hear the stories like the story that you just told of this arbitrary, seemingly, but put by a colonial power really yeah. and, and 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 the turmoil that that it causes. And and um so I think, you know, this in this discussion we're like touching on all these different aspects of of um what the border is from the the omnipresence that you see in the film to the actual physical boundaries and to like what these nation states are and how these borders were created to begin with. But um, I also wanted to turn to your, um, to your music, your like to, to hear you speak a little bit about your music, especially um, when, as we think about the border and all, all that entails and and from the racism and the xenophobia to the to the oppressiveness of it yeah. i mean maybe you weren't thinking intellectually so much about those issues but maybe you were or maybe was it it was it a solace for you i guess that's my question yeah definitely i i think growing up as somebody who experienced a lot of uh pretty overt racism and bigotry um you know, I, I like you said, I, I didn't have the intellectual analysis of it as a as a kid, uh, but 
I think music saved my life in many ways, um, to, to have that outlet to channel my uh, emotions. I'm, I'm a trumpet player and a singer primarily. Um, and I've been doing both of those things since, uh, since I was a child. Um, and I think that honestly really did, uh, help me stay grounded in, in those, in those toughest of times. And, and that very much still now I'm more consciously aware of it, uh, of, of the necessity of that in my life, but that's very much still, still the case today. It's absolutely uh, a solace. It's where I, uh, process my emotions. It's my, you know, my therapy for myself. It's, you know, it's my meditation practice. It's my spiritual practice. Uh, I happen to come from a community where music, like, like many of us do come from a spiritual community where music is pretty, is pretty central. So that was in me from even before, you know, before I started going to school, I was already exposed to music as a, a spiritual practice, which for me is ultimately about how do we stay grounded and connected in this really fucked up world, you know, um, and 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 find the strength within us as individuals and collectively to 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 change this fucked up world, you know, into something uh, uh, that that is more just and liberatory for for all of us, um, something somewhere where we can not just survive, uh, but but thrive and you know blowing blowing air through my my trumpet that resonance uh i think has always been a really important part of how i how i get through it you know in tucson uh we hear about this mythological band that used to exist and maybe still exists spiritual in the spiritual realms i don't know called turban jones i believe <laughs> <laughs> was that true that you were part of this band yeah and, uh, it seems like that band maybe was that one of your first bands that you were yeah in? that was my first band that was not like out of you know a school thing um that wasn't school band uh, uh so when i i got really into ska and reggae as a as a teenager um i used to go to ska shows every every week in in phoenix my senior year of high school and so when I got to college in Tucson, um, I was very set on finding uh, finding some folks to start a ska band with, which which I did pretty quickly. This was uh, the late '90s, so you know ska was having a, a, a moment in the United States at at the time. Um, and the more I kind of dug into that scene, the more I was into it. You know, there's a long history of anti-racism uh, in in ska and in the UK. You know, that like rock against racism in terms of like countering the national front and um, neo-fascism in, in England, these multiracial bands, of course, Scott's roots are in Jamaica um, where there's this long history of, uh, you know, Indian immigration and uh, you know, all this sort of collaboration between South Asians and black folks. Um, and uh, so I was, I would, the more I, the more I got into it, the, the more inspired I was by it. So yeah, uh, Turbin Jones was sort of a, a classic late nineties us ska band, like a lot of silliness, uh, a lot of tongue in cheek songs, even, you know, the name obviously being pretty, pretty tongue in cheek as well. Um, but also a place where we got to kind of uh, explore our identities. Most of us um, we're children of immigrants in the band um, coming from different backgrounds. So, you know, we'd be singing songs in Spanglish. We'd be singing songs in like broken Hindi and English and, you know, just uh, just kind of processing our uh, teenage uh, angsty, silly selves through through our music. And, you know, we weren't we weren't we're definitely not very good. But uh, but it was a, it was a moment in time. And whenever sort of nationally touring ska bands would come through Tucson, we'd always open up for them. Um, and some of those some of those folks are still still friends of mine. 
Is there, is there, do you have any um, recorded music still from that, that era? We actually, we actually recorded two albums, believe it or not. Um, but neither of them are available digitally, thankfully. But, you know, <laughs> if you ask nicely, I, I, I do have a few too many CDs left. <laughs> yeah. Um, which, which then brings me to, um, your, newest I, and I, I hesitate saying newest because i know you've been with red barat for since for a long time now Indeed. Almost, what yeah since 2008 right yeah yeah you know everyone should go check i mean i'm sure a lot of listeners have heard red barat before but if you haven't just please go check them out there's you just have to do a google search and they'll pop up everywhere um i've seen them live a few times and just amazing and i i was listening to an interview with you um on another podcast and you you mentioned that there is something really interesting about red barat's music outer national you had mentioned was more direct political there's more of a interface political yeah. um uh dynamic to the music and then red barat Maybe less so, but still equally, there's a, 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 a political a politicalness to the music that yeah. was based out of quote unquote revolutionary joy. But I'd love to hear you elaborate on that. Yeah, for sure. So you know, on the on the surface, Red Barat is not like a in your face uh, radical band uh, in terms of the the lyrical content and 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 whatnot. But I I think over the years, what I learned uh, was really the importance of joy through that band. Um, cause I think ultimately that's what, that's what that music encapsulates for us as musicians, but, but for the audience as well. And, um, and there's sort of a rebelliousness to the sound. There's a lot of improvisation. There's a lot of urgency in, in the way that we play this music. Um, and, and I think people, people feel that, you know, so much can be communicated, uh, even without, without words. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I think, you know, the, I, I've learned the, the necessity of, of, of joy, uh, in, in our, in our movements through, through, you know, dedicating a, a good chunk of my life, uh, to, to that band. Right. Which is, you know, it's a, it's a, a lot of our music is rooted in, in Bhangra music, which is sort of a Punjabi, uh, folk, uh, music and, and dance form. Um, and it's very brass forward. So there's, you know, I play trumpet, there's trombone, sousaphone, saxophone, um, led by a dole. Um, it's this, uh, barrel shaped Punjabi drum. So, you know, it's a, it's a, a huge loud, uh, uh, sort of riotous party vibe. Uh, and in that, I think there's something, you know, important for us, you know, to experience joy and, and being in the moment and, uh, and, and feeling that together. Yeah, you you definitely get that feel um, <clears throat> listening to to your music, the Red Barat. But that also leads me to your newest album, your solo album. And I, I want to ask you about that, but I want to ask you first about the name. And mm-hmm. the name is Char, Chardikala. Char, yep. I'm, uh, and, um, and I'd love to hear you explain more on this, but... Uh, but you were you you'd mentioned that it that it means ever rising spirit mm-hmm. right yeah. and, um and along those terms and this is coming from my list, my listening to another interview that you had you had mentioned in the Sikh tradition that um that there's no division between the spiritual and the political 
Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, and then the, and, and so the act of the political act of like fighting for justice for every single person, right. For example, is a divine act. Yeah. And to me, yeah, that, that really, you know, listening to that, it not only touched me, but it inspired a sort of radical imagination on my part. And, and thinking about that and thinking about the film, right, from here, and um, thinking about, you know, the border and immigration apparatus system pervasiveness, pervasiveness that we've been discussing. Um, I, you know, I mean, I'd love to hear you talk, you know, talk about well, first talk about your new album, but then I want to see how that attack, how that might connect to envisioning another world, another world is yeah. the, oh, that might be possible. Yeah, yeah. Thank, thanks for that. Yeah, um, I think my my new album was a, a, a lifetime in, in the works in a way uh, because as a child, my first musical outlet was uh, playing sick devotional music or, or kirtan as as we call it, um, and I never really explored that tradition, revisited it as a so-called professional musician, which, you know, I supposedly am now. Uh, and, and so I think this was sort of like seeping beneath the surface for a long time for me. Um, and, you know, a few years back, you know, we're like a couple of years into the Trump administration where we're, uh, seeing more and more sort of far right fas fascistic, uh, uh, leaders being elected, uh, you know, uh, around the world, like, you know, Bolsonaro and Duterte and, you know, Modi and, you know, uh, and feeling a lot of sort of desperation and, and, and hopelessness. Um, and, uh, in that I found myself returning to a lot of the Kirtan I learned as, as a kid and, and just like digging in a little bit more into the, into the meanings and translations of a lot of these verses that were written, you know, four or five, 600 years ago. Um, and just feeling their presence today, right? Um, because these these issues are actually nothing new, um, and our people, my ancestors, have been have been trying to make sense of it and and change it for a long time, and uh, and that's largely why the Sikh community exists, why it's so called Sikhism as a faith community exists, um, because it was not only a, a a spiritual movement um when it was started you know back in the late 1400s but it was a it was a political revolution um it was a, a denunciation of all forms of oppression and tyranny um and and really a a a calling out of all the hypocrisy done in the name of so-called god right like that done in the name of the the uh the various terms that people call refer to the divine as, you know, God being one of those names, um, you know, in South Asia, for example, you know, caste oppression is so insidious, right? So, so insidious, so old. Uh, and, and so the Sikh movement was born as an anti-caste revolution, right? Because, uh, you know, the caste system is something that attempts to say that, um, you know, a few people, are on a much higher level than, than everybody else. And, you know, if you're born as a Dalit, you will be a Dalit for your whole life, a so-called untouchable. You're like complete outcast and that's your karma, right? That that's because God said so. Uh, and, you know, uh, Gurnanik, who is the, the founder of, of the Sikh faith and, and, uh, and those who came to be known as Sikhs were like, this is, this makes no sense. 
right? The divine is in, in all of us. Um, and that's not just an idea that that's a call to action, right? Um, so if the divine is in all of us, um, I'm going to do everything in my power. Uh, I'm going to dedicate my life to ensuring that you're not exploited, right? To, to make sure you're treated with respect and dignity. And so that's a spiritual mandate, right? Um, and so in that sense, fighting for justice and liberation, as you were saying, it's an act of worship for us, right? Um, you know, sitting and, and meditating and reflecting is, is great. Um, some, some six do that as well. Um, but, uh, but that's, that's to, to keep ourselves grounded so we can continue to fight for justice and liberation. Like we have to act in this world, uh, and, and, and make it a, a more just place. Um, and so I think that's something that my ancestors were, uh, on, on that trajectory hundreds of years ago. And, um, and it's been a, it's been a really, uh, important process for, for me to dig back into this tradition, uh, in a more serious way, uh, with, with my new album called Chardicola. And, and that idea, uh, as you mentioned, is, is this idea of ever rising spirits. So, um, that's a practice that's deeply, uh, held in our community, um, that, uh, Sometimes I think it's kind of oversimplified as just optimism or or being happy all the time. And and I, I think what what it more is is this sort of steadfast determination, sort of holding our heads up high in the face of all kinds of challenges, even even in the darkest of times we have to believe uh, things can be better, right? And we have to sort of be that change. Uh, we have to embody that spirit, that upward Chardikala spirit, just even in the way that we walk through the world, right? Even in the way that we carry ourselves um, so we can begin to sort of imagine the world that we are trying to to fight for. And so that that to me is like the the mandate for all the work I do, but especially when I think about being a musician, like what is the role of music? Like even in the way we were talking about, about Red Barat, um, and certainly the way that I think about my, my new project, it's like, how, uh, how can I create something that, uh, that helps us stay in that Jardikala spirit to continue fighting for a better world. Right. So there's a reflective aspect to that. So, um, some of the music is, is reflective and introspective, but there's also a call to action built into that. Right. I don't want folks just to passively listen to my music without thinking about what do these words mean? Uh, what do they mean for me? What do they mean for us? Yeah. Well, Sonny, really many thanks for sharing, um, everything that you've shared and being with us today on the Border Chronicle podcast. Where can people find out more about you, find your music? Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Um, people can go to my website, sunnysing.com. It's S-O-N-N-Y-S-I-N-G-H.com. Um, and also, you know, just search my name on any streaming platform and, and you'll find my music, Spotify, Apple, Bandcamp, whatever uh, you you use. Well, thank you so much, Sonny. Thank you, Todd. This is The Border Chronicle, reported by Todd Miller and Melissa Del Bosque, based in Tucson, Arizona. This interview was edited by me, Hannah Gaber. If you like what you're hearing, please give us a follow, drop a review, and recommend the show to a friend. It really is the best way to help people find us. You can read and listen to more local border reporting and support Todd and Melissa's independent journalism on our website, thebordercronicle.com. 